This is an example of the fundamental difference between a liberal and a conservative. I do not support a livable wage. She does not support a livable wage. That is the difference. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK. Pacifica Radio, 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe at least five days a week. On the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation... NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much, as ever, for joining us today, Uh, a day when we will not... We will not get distracted. Do you hear that, Desi Doyen? <laughs> I, I want to get a, a caught up on a bunch of stories, or at least as many uh, stories that I can, a number of which we've had to put off during the breaking news of the past week or two. But we will not get distracted again, Desi Doyen. Turn, you... off, turn off the Twitters. <laughs> I will try. Turn off the iPhone alerts. We, uh, we'll, uh, we're going to get to these one way or another, at least a few of them. Also coming up later is Desi Doyen with Yay. her Green News Report. No distraction that. As uh, the, the fallout continues, I guess we have to just keep saying that. As the fallout continues from uh, continues. Trump's uh, backing out of the Paris Climate Agreement, but states are now beginning to step up themselves. And some very, very good news on a story that we covered uh, concerning Nevada and solar power, a story that we covered about two years ago. We yeah. now have what is, I think, a happy ending I think to it that might be. story after all. So that is ahead. And okay, let's start with all right, just this, this is, it's short. It's a short distraction. Okay. It's a short distraction. You have my permission D- uh, to be distracted for a few minutes. Just for a few minutes. Donald Trump few. has uh, completed uh, d- recently here today a, uh, a joint press conference with the president of Romania in the White House Rose Garden. He disputed FBI Director James Comey's much-watched testimony on Thursday in which Comey said that the White House lied, lied about the reasons for his firing their, their disparagement of the FBI under Comey's leadership and that Trump fired him due to the Russia investigation. Trump says uh, that Comey was, however, lying during that uh, testimony on Thursday. 
and also said that he will be 100% willing to testify under oath before the special counsel, uh, Robert Mueller. Uh, Yeah, well, maybe. Remember, he has also proven himself to be the master of the bluff, to put it nicely. So we will see. Uh, We will not, however, get distracted today. So this will be very short. Uh, (laughs) He was asked uh, at this uh, press conference, are there tapes? He said that will come out in the near future. He did not say no. Uh, although then he added, uh, well, let's uh, let's play this comment here. This is, um, uh, let's see, uh, Donald Trump in the White House Rose Garden. Go ahead and just just play it. We'll talk about Mr. it. President, um, I want to get back to James Comey's testimony. You suggested he didn't tell the truth in everything he said. Uh, he did say under oath that you told him to let the Flynn, uh, you, you said you hoped the Flynn investigation, you could like. He could I didn't say that. So he lied about that. Well, I didn't say that. I mean, I will tell you, I didn't say that. And, and did he ask you to pledge his And there'd loyalty? be nothing wrong if I did say it, according to everybody that I've read today. But I did not say that. So he said those things under oath. Would you be willing to speak under oath to uh, give your version of, of 100%. Those and I didn't say under oath. I hardly know the man. I'm not going to say I want you to pledge allegiance. Who would do that? Who would ask a man to pledge allegiance under oath? I mean, think of it. I hardly know the man. It doesn't make sense. No, I didn't say that, and I didn't say the other. So if Robert Mueller wanted to speak with you about that, you I would, would be, be glad to, to him? tell him exactly what I just told you, Jim. And you seem to be hinting that there are recordings of those conversations. I'm not hinting anything. I'll tell you about it over a very short period of time. When is that? Okay. Okay. Do you have a question here? When, when, when will you tell us about the recording? Over a fairly short period of time. Now, Are there tapes, sir? Yeah. Oh, you're going to be very disappointed when you hear the end, so don't worry. Yeah, uh, he'll release those tapes in a very short time. Tell us whether they exist in a very short time. Just after he releases his taxes, I guess, uh, <laughs> was, they was all, those were also supposed to come out in a very short time. Uh, this is true. This is true. But you know what does exist? The Comey memos, the contemporaneous memos that were taken by Jim Comey, those do exist as well as uh, the many witnesses that uh, Comey reportedly uh, says, in any event, says that he spoke to immediately after these various one-on-one encounters with Donald Trump, in which uh, Comey says the president demanded his loyalty, encouraged Comey to shut down the investigation, and to uh, National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. So we will see if those tapes exist. Um or if he is bluffing. And we may find out sooner rather than later. Apparently, both the Senate and House Intelligence Committees have now asked Donald Trump to turn over those tapes if they do exist. Yeah, and that was, I thought, a very interesting operative phrase in there. Turn over any tapes if they exist or if they existed. And it's a, it's a or if they existed. Yes. As in other he words, might have yeah, destroyed you know, them. The way that yeah. he is speaking about them is seems to be mostly in the present tense. That doesn't there there aren't any tapes. That doesn't mean that there weren't any tapes. And I believe that is uh, for now at least a request from Congress, not a subpoena. So uh, he does not necessarily have to turn them over under uh, under subpoena. So yes, we will see what happens. In the meantime, speaking of bluffing, President uh, Trump's personal attorney says he plans to file a complaint against fired FBI Director James Comey. 
Following uh, his admission on Thursday, Comey's admission that he gave an unclassified memo recording an encounter with uh, Trump to a friend and asked the friend to leak that information to the media, according to CNN. Now, as our guest on Thursday's broadcast pointed out, that's not a leak. That's not leaking. That's sharing. The memo was written by Comey himself. It contained no classified information. So when they... Talk about this as a leak. In fact, uh, the uh, Trump in the Rose Garden today went on to call Comey a leaker again. Um, that's not a leak. Citing two sources with knowledge of the situation, CNN reports that the complaint to be filed with the Department of Justice, Inspector General, and the Senate Judiciary Committee would center on Comey's testimony that he told a friend to relay information from the memos to the press. The New York Times had first reported on one of uh, Comey's one of the memo's contents, which detailed Trump asking Comey to drop the federal investigation into ousted uh, NSA uh, National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Under oath on Thursday, Comey told the Senate Intelligence Committee that he consciously decided to make that memo detailing Trump's request unclassified. When he wrote it, he decided to write it as an unclassified memo. Trump did not assert executive privilege over Comey's testimony in the U.S. Senate, in which he similarly detailed Trump's request regarding Flynn. So there is no executive privilege. It's not a privilege document. It's not a classified document. Nonetheless, on Thursday, Trump's lawyer, Mark Kasowitz, called Comey a leaker who made, quote, unauthorized disclosures to the press of privileged communications with the president. Marcy Wheeler spoke about that yesterday and said, no, those are absolutely not privileged. He essentially waived that privilege by by talking about the meeting himself, by tweeting about by the meeting, tweeting about yes. the meeting and by allowing uh, allowing Comey to testify. Kasowitz added that Comey admitted that he leaked to friends of his purported memos of those privileged conversations, one of which he said was classified. Well, that's also not exactly true, Mr. Kasowitz. Though Comey had noted he had one classified conversation with Trump, which he called, quote, brief and entirely professional, he did not admit to leaking information about it to the press. So Kasowitz was conflating all sorts of things. Nonetheless, uh, today, Donald Trump took to Twitter once again and called Comey a leaker. He said, uh, quote, despite so many false statements and lies, total and complete vindication. <laughs> he uh, I guess, talking about the uh, Comey's testimony yesterday. Right. Uh, and he, he adds, and wow, Comey is a leaker. That was uh, Trump's first response to Comey's testimony on Thursday after suggestions that he would be live tweeting the testimony. Uh, that did not come to pass. He instead smartly, I should say, remained silent all day during the uh, riveting two hours and 45 minutes uh, uh, hearing at the U.S. Intelligence Committee. It's unclear, CNN notes, that the dissemination of unclassified information to The New York Times or in sworn testimony is technically leaking at all. No, no, it's, it's not, not unclear. It's Sorry, clear. CNN, it's not unclear. Senators noted Thursday that Comey could have just as easily shared the information with the press himself as a named source because it was not classified and he had every right to. 
So uh, Comey said Thursday of his decision to pass the information to an intermediary that was uh, was prompted by Trump's warning that he might have tapes of his own documenting their conversation. And Comey uh, said of that, quote, Lordy, I hope there are tapes. I'll bet he does. Well, the president said we're all going to be disappointed. I don't know what that means, if we're going to be disappointed because they don't exist, because Donald Trump is a liar, or if they don't exist because Donald Trump has destroyed that evidence. That's that's would be what I would think, but or, that's just or, my speculation. Or if we're going to be disappointed because those tapes are going to come out and we're going to find out that Jim Comey is a big liar, has made up this whole thing. That could happen. Don't look at me that it's way. It's within it the realm of possibility. But I will not be distracted. That's it. No more Donald Trump and Jim Comey today. Probably. Don't look at your iPhone. <laughs> uh, because, you know, everyone else is following uh, the, the, the Comey, Trump, Flynn, Russia, obstruction of justice, abuse of power, impeachment investigations. Yes, I just tossed in the word impeachment because that's that is where all of this is going. But in the meantime, a whole lot has been going on around the country and around the world with much less attention than it than it deserves uh, in the bargain. For one, by the way, conservatism is failing all over the world, from Tulsa to Topeka to um, pick a place in Britain that starts with T. I don't know. Thames, the Thames, is that a place? That's a place. I don't know. Uh, bad news uh, for the conservatives in Great Britain, as we as we reported last yesterday on the uh, well, at the end of the show on our previous thrilling broadcast. Uh, very bad news for the Conservative Party in Great Britain, uh, based on the exit polls that came out after their general election, the snap election that was called by British Prime Minister Theresa May. Uh, well, now those exit polls uh, proved to be correct, as they generally are proven to be in every other country other than the U.S. But that's a discussion for another day. Here's AP Today. In a political drama, both brutal and surreal, British Prime Minister Theresa May tried Friday to carry on with the business of governing as usual while her conservative party reeled from losing its parliamentary majority and her opponents demanded she resign. An election that May had called to strengthen her hand as Britain uh, leaves the European Union ended with her political authority obliterated, according to AP. Her days in office likely numbered and Britain's path to Brexit more muddied than ever. Meanwhile, the supposed loser, I guess by numbers only uh, in comparison to the Conservative Party, uh, Labour Party leader Jeremy Corbyn savored a surprisingly strong result and basked in the adulation of an energized, youthful base. British newspaper summed it all up in one word, mayhem. The conservatives <laughs> had built their election campaign around May's uh, ostensible strengths as a strong and stable leader, and the outcome is a personal slap in the face. But May soldiered on on Friday, holding talks with a small northern Irish party about shoring up her minority government. They did, in fact, lose the majority. The conservatives did. And in order to be able to govern, they're going to have to pull together a majority coalition. A grim faced May acknowledged, I obviously wanted a different result last night, but she promised she would reflect on what happened. 
with 649 of the 650 seats in the House of Commons now declared after the vote. May's bruised conservatives had just 318. That is short of the 326 that they would need for an outright majority. That is well down from the 330 seats that they had before May's uh, roll of the electoral dice here. In the meantime, the Labor Party had 261 seats. That's up from 229. So they gained about 32 seats, uh, all of which uh, complicates... The party's plans now to push for independence. That would be the Scot- uh, I'm sorry, the Scottish National Party. They also lost uh, about 20 seats. They were hoping to call a, a referendum for independence from uh, from Great Britain, but that is probably not going to happen at least for a while now. This is the first time since the 90s that Britain has had a minority government in which a governing party cannot get measures through Parliament without outside support. May said that she was in talks with the Democratic Unionists. This is a socially conservative, pro-British, Protestant party in Northern Ireland. They're trying to work together to uh, to cut a deal. The uh, Democratic Unionists won 10 seats, but a deal with them may not be straightforward. Apparently, the party uh, opposes abortion and same-sex marriage which puts them at odds with the modernized, now conservative party that uh, May now leads. Yeah, and just a little bit more information about them. The guy that leads them, as I understand it, is a creationist. So that's who May is seeking to make a coalition with. Stephen Fielding, a uh, professor of politics at the University University of Nottingham, called her, quote, a zombie prime minister at this point. Ooh, cold. Conservative lawmaker Heidi Allen uh, said that, honestly, it feels almost like she is almost not aware of what has happened in the last 24 hours. But the biggest winner here was Corbyn, who, as AP writes, confounded expectations that his left wing views made him electorally toxic. A buoyant Corbyn piled on pressure for May to resign, saying people have had enough of austerity politics and cuts in public spending. He said the arguments the conservative party put forward in this election have lost and we need change. Many had written off Corbyn, including the pollsters and the pundits. Labor had surged, however, in the final weeks of the uh, of the campaign, drawing strong support from young people with the promise to abolish tuition fees for school. Sound familiar? Yep. The hope of better jobs and a chance to own property. Ben Page, chief executive pollster uh, for Ipsos, said uh, the young have had a bad deal. They didn't want to leave the EU. It appears clear that they were determined this time to make a difference and vote. Yes, they showed up to vote. Amazing what happens when you show up to vote. Page said Corbin, a lifelong left-wing activist who had spent decades speaking to crowds, was underestimated as a campaigner. Sound familiar as well? While he was demonized by conservative newspapers. Sound familiar as well? Uh, in the meantime, on Facebook, Corbin was trending. Half a million more young people registered to vote than before the last election. 
A 23-year-old student, Janet Walsh, who voted late for labor, said, I felt passionate about voting to make sure Theresa May knew that young people like me would never support her or a conservative government. I blame her party for destroying Britain by pushing for Brexit and austerity, two things that will ultimately be bad for my generation. This was the t- this was the first time I voted, she said. Well, good for her. She was criticized, uh, May was, uh, was criticized for uh, a lackluster campaign style and for her plan to force elderly people to pay more for their care. Sound familiar? This was a proposal that her opponents dubbed the dementia tax. It's unclear what role the recent terror attacks and their aftermath played in the results. But the uncertain outcome is more evidence that after the populist surges that produced Brexit and President Donald Trump and the centrist fightbacks led by Germany's Angela Merkel and France's Emmanuel Macron, politics remains volatile and unpredictable these days, you think? David Dayan, our friend, um, sort of uh, summarized it this way. Uh, uh, Theresa May's epic, his via an email this morning he sent. He has uh, a great newsletter, by the way. Theresa May's epic miscalculation and Jeremy Corbyn's defiance of expectations has upended British politics and maybe the world's. The Tories are going to join with the nutters in Northern Ireland their uh, unionist party, and May's May's prime, prime minister position looks barely safe for now. The conservative party, writes Dayan, said the quiet parts out loud during the campaign and told the public that they had nothing to offer them. A cap on long-term care insurance called the dementia tax was the last straw. Corbyn, by contrast, proved a strong campaigner. Sound familiar? Actually gave voters something to believe in. There's an idea. And uh, Dan says he surged the young uh, surged the young out to vote in historic numbers. Yes, he adds, this didn't lead to an outright victory, but I feel like it showed a transitional moment in global politics. The young, whose formative political years have seen a giant recession, bank bailout, and unequal society, are eager for a strong left. Their leaders are on the cusp of emerging, but they aren't there yet. So they're rallying to older lefties like Corbyn and Bernie Sanders. And in France, Jean-Luc Mélenchon. And uh, they are questioning capitalism as it's practiced today. Eventually, Dayan says, this cycle will break. In the U.S., millennials are a bigger demographic than the boomers. The young leaders will rise and the range of politics will expand. The pundit class needs to recalibrate, he says. Authentic, uh, authenticity and ideology have become hallmarks of the left after decades of suppression. The old rules don't apply. I feel like this hasn't been accounted for yet, but change is coming, promises David Dayan. Well, I we'll hope he's right. see if he's right. I hope he is. I well, mean, hey, listen, if you're a young person who grew up in an, in the middle of a great recession and with a huge wealth inequality, it's not surprising to see that capitalism maybe doesn't work for you. Not the way it's practiced now. That's for sure. It's not working for a lot of people. But will that change that Dayan talks about? Will that come uh, soon enough to affect the special election for the U.S. House in Georgia a little, uh, little more than a week from today? Maybe. 
maybe it will come, at least if you believe in things like pre-election polls. And given that the bulk of the votes in uh, in Georgia will be cast on 100% unverifiable touchscreens, frankly, pre-election polls are largely the only thing that we have, the only gauge as to whether the results reported on June 20 will be accurate in any way. So I'm not one of these people who get obsessed with the polling, but this is it. This is the only thing that we have to measure against the, the results that are recorded and tallied in complete and total secret that are 100% unverifiable. And here's what we learned from the polls today. Democrat John Ossoff has a 7 Seven percentage point lead. Wow. Over Republican Karen Handel among likely voters in this closely watched special election for the uh, Georgia House seat in the 6th District in Georgia. This, according to a new poll released today, Ossoff leads Handel 51 to 44. Among likely voters, 51 to 44, that's a seven point edge. The poll itself has a four-point margin of error, so it's outside the margin of error. However, there are still 5% in this race saying they are undecided at this point. So Ossoff's advantage could close. Other polls have showed the race uh, uh, much tighter, with Ossoff either tied or up by a point or two from Handel. This is the first uh, poll to show such a broad lead for the Democratic candidate, who is, by the way, not all that progressive, but he is young. He's just 30 years old. He's a first-time candidate running against an establishment Republican candidate, the former Secretary of State, Karen Handel. So uh, this is really interesting. Ossoff is picking up 13 percent of Republicans in this in this new poll, 50 percent of independents in this district, which has been deep red for a long time. Newt Gingrich used to had this seat for years. More recently, it was held by uh, Tom Price, who left the seat to become Trump's Health and Human Services secretary. In the meantime, uh, Handel is drawing virtually no Democratic support. Uh, while Ossoff is pulling off a lot of Republicans. Already, it is the most expensive House race in history. Millions of dollars have been spent by uh, party committees and super PACs flooding the Atlanta airwaves. Some of the local news reports have expanded a half hour just so they can have commercial time to run uh, more TV ads. Republicans have spent about $12 million on the race. That's almost double what the Democratic outside groups have spent. But Ossoff's campaign has uh, raised for itself a staggering $23 million for a single House seat. Karen Handel has raised only $4 million in that same uh, uh, two-month period, the last uh, two months when uh, Ossoff brought in $15 million in the last uh, two months. But Republicans, these outside groups, continue to outspend uh, the biggest player so far has been the GOP Super PAC Congressional Leadership Fund. That's Paul Ryan's PAC. They've put in uh, $6 million on the race itself. $6 million that they won't be able to spend elsewhere, uh, I guess, uh, next time in, in other races and, and next year. This has been a reliably Republican district. Tom Price uh, won by well over 20 points, but... Donald Trump only won it by about a point and a half in uh, 2016. So Democrats see this one as uh, as reachable. Now, by the way, uh, we've not yet heard word back from the courts in Georgia, where my guest a few days ago, Marilyn Marks, is one of the plaintiffs suing the state to allow hand-counted paper ballots rather than 100 percent unverifiable 
Diebold touchscreens for uh, for voters at the polling place. It seems this, as I said uh, to Marilyn when we talked, it seems very late for a judge to to decide, you know, to do away with these touchscreen systems with early voting now already underway in the district. But still, it's it's important, given what we know about these extremely unsecured uh, 2002 Diebold systems, not to mention the major breach of the state voter database that happened in early March, the theft of several e-poll books, electronic poll books on the weekend before the primary in April, the complete failure of the electronic tabulator system on primary night back in April that held up the results for hours and revealed even more vulnerabilities in those systems that we had known about. So uh, we'll see. We'll let you know when we get information on that. Uh, As to the failure of conservatism in this district, well, we will see. Handel may have drawn the best contrast, frankly, between conservatism and, well, everyone else. She calls it liberalism. When a question came up during a debate a few days ago in this race with Ossoff, uh, about uh, about a livable minimum wage or at least an increase in the minimum wage, which, by the way, is wildly popular across all segments of the electorate, not just liberals and progressives, but everyone, at least everyone other than right wing elected officials and their wealthy business partners. Here was this devastating gaffe that they uh, have been playing over and over again, this devastating gaffe for Karen Handel during this debate a few nights ago with John Ossoff. Does either candidate support a minimum wage increase? Mr. Ossoff starts with you. Yes, I do. The minimum wage should be a living wage. I think we can raise it indexed to the cost of living because the cost of living varies widely in urban and rural areas and in different states across this country. I think that increase needs to be implemented at a pace that allows business owners to adapt their business plans so they're not shocked. Their business plans are not shocked by a sudden increase in labor costs. But look, if someone's working a 40-hour work week, uh, they deserve the kind of standard of living that Americans expect. That's part of the American dream, and there are too many folks who are having trouble making ends meet. This is an example of the fundamental difference between a liberal and a conservative. I do not support a livable wage. What I support is what? making sure that we have an economy that is is robust with low taxes and less regulation so that those small businesses that would be dramatically hurt if you impose higher minimum wages on them are able to do what they do best, grow jobs and create good paying jobs for the people in the 6th District. But not pay you for them. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I do not support a livable wage. Terrible gaffe uh, that yeah. uh, they have been playing over and over in this uh, campaign against her. Uh, but yes, uh, the minimum wage is is very popular, and uh, it is not shown really by anybody, any legitimate study that raising the minimum wage actually hurts the economy. It actually looks like it helps the economy. In any event, the Republican, the conservative Republican, does not support a livable wage. All right, before we get out here, one more quick story. Montana Congressman-elect Greg Gianforte, who was charged with assault, Last week, after allegedly slamming Guardian reporter Ben Jacobs to the ground, not allegedly, we got it on tape and he's admitted it. In any event, uh, slamming Guardian reporter Ben Jacobs to the ground for asking a question the night before the election, before the special U.S. House election up there in Montana to replace Trump's interior secretary, Ryan Zinke. Uh, Gianforte has now apologized to the reporter and announced a donation to the Committee to Protect Journalists. In, uh, in his letter, in his apology letter, 
that was published uh, this week. He said, notwithstanding anyone's statements to the contrary, you did not initiate any physical contact with me and I had no right to assault you. Now, when he says notwithstanding anyone's statements to the contrary, he's talking about his own campaign who put out a claim that uh, it a was statement. the reporter, a statement that it was the reporter who was uh, who instigated, who instigated the, this. Yeah. yeah. He said, I'm uh, GM Forte said, I'm sorry for what I did and the unwanted notoriety this has created for you. I take full responsibility. That said, GN Forte didn't say that until after the election on Election Day. He allowed all of this to play out. Now, uh, Jacobs, for his part, who's a much better man than I, the reporter here, um, he accepted the apology, which accompanied a fifty thousand dollar donation to the committee to protect journalists. That sounds like a lot of money. <laughs> Fifty thousand dollars, and it is a lot of money. But it Gian is. Forte is a, a billionaire, millionaire, or billionaire. millionaire. He is a millionaire. Fifty thousand dollars is couch change. You sure him. he's not a billionaire? I he am pretty sure a, he's okay. not a billionaire. I he's think got he's a lot of money in any event. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not sure I would have accepted that uh, that apology as is because uh, the letter is described by the Guardian, which published it as quote part of an agreement that settles any potential civil claims. Ah, so there you don't go. sue me. I'll give fifty thousand dollars to the committee to protect journalism, and I won't apologize for putting out a false statement accusing you. Yeah, and he's still facing uh, charges for that. However, despite my promise to not get distracted by my iPhone, <laughs> uh, I have to uh, say this uh, breaking news that uh, Gianforte has now pleaded guilty to those assault charges in Montana. They were misdemeanor assault charges. Uh, he really wants to take his seat in, in Congress. Uh, he has, uh, as of yet, no set start date to do that. Montana has not yet certified the election but I suspect they will soon enough, and I suspect he will run out to uh, Washington, D.C., and I suspect that House Speaker Paul Ryan will gladly accept the assaulter into their ranks. So um, so-called conservatism uh, won in Montana in any event. Uh, it was not a landslide. It was just about six points after um the House seat had gone to Zinke last November by about 20. So this is a huge swing, at least in the Democrats favor and in the favor of the very progressive Bernie Sanders supporting losing candidate Rob Quist. Uh, but more signs, much bigger signs of conservatism itself as a political ideology utterly failing and in America's heartland. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Conservatism may not yet be dust in the wind, uh, but in Kansas, and yes, I see what you did there, Desi Doyen. There's uh, some Kansas for you. Uh, in Kansas, 
they sure are getting a lot of uh, blowback. It actually could be over for conservatism to some extent in uh, in Kansas, in Oklahoma. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay, no distractions. No distractions today. Even while the circus surrounding the Trump administration this week has been going on in the U.S. House, they passed a bill to gut and repeal the Dodd-Frank banking reforms uh, that were put in place after the 2007 global banking collapse and the subsequent Great Recession. This happened while we weren't uh, paying any attention. They're gutting the, the reforms that were put in place to to keep uh, too big to fail from happening again. That's what the Republicans are trying to do in the House. Whether they can pass it in the Senate, we don't know. Trump has said he's in favor of this. He wants to get rid of Dodd-Frank. That'll work out well for him. And it's not just banking regulations. It's also consumers. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, they want to to basically defang that, and that protects consumers. Because that was part of Dodd-Frank, yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, in the U.S. Senate, uh, Mitch McConnell is putting the repeal of Obamacare onto the Senate calendar, which suggests that the effort now in the Senate to come up with with their own version, the Senate version of the... uh, of the House's uh, uh, American, what was it called? American Healthcare Healthcare Act. Act. Uh, So the Senate version is now moving forward. This despite the Congressional Budget Office finding that it will result in the loss of health insurance for some 23 million Americans. So that has also been going on in Congress while everyone has been uh, distracted. In the meantime, however, conservatism itself or or what now passes for conservative policies, conservative ideology, which now pretty much amounts to huge tax cuts for businesses and the wealthy and austerity for everybody else. In the meantime, in places around the country where these practices have been put in place, it is failing miserably. The uh, the poster child for this failure really has been Kansas now for several years. And uh, the pushback really came hard over the over this past week as Kansas legislators on Tuesday repudiated the tax cutting experiment that brought Republican Governor Sam Brown back national attention with even his fellow Republicans voting to override his veto of a plan that will reverse many of the income tax reductions that he has championed over the past several years since taking office. Lawmakers said that this was the only way to fix the cash-strapped state's budget. The state will increase the personal income tax rates and end an exemption for more than 330,000 farmers and business owners. Legislators expect the changes to raise $1.2 billion in new revenue over the next two years to close the projected budget shortfalls totaling almost $1 billion through June of 2019. And it will also provide additional funds for public schools. So these, you know, they cut taxes. We got to help the economy. It'll no, spur the it economy. kills the economy. Right. It kills the economy, and it leads to cuts, uh, huge cuts and austerity, and in this case, particularly to schools. 
the conservative Republican governor still touts these income tax cuts that he enacted way back in 2012 and 2013 as pro-growth policies. But voters decided otherwise last year. They ousted two dozen of Brownback's allies from the legislature and gave more power to Democrats and moderate Republicans who then backed this year's tax increase. The legislature's action leaves Brownback's main political legacy now in tatters, according to AP. Senate Majority Leader Jim Denning, a conservative Kansas, uh, Kansas City area Republican, he supported the first rounds of tax cuts back in 2012, but he over voted to override the veto. He said he still be- that uh, that Brownback still believes he repeated still believes in this. And that's okay. I don't. He said, I've made many bad decisions in my business career, as many bad as good, but I've always backed up and mopped up my mess. That's what I'm doing now. He's admitting he got it wrong and he's mopping up the mess. So good for him. The tax increase was also designed to cover the extra aid to the state's 286 local public school districts because the state Supreme Court had ruled in March that education funding was inadequate. And, of course, that's what they were cutting, that and roads and bridges. So lawmaker uh, lawmakers passed a plan Monday night to phase in some $293 million in increases in education funding over the next two years. Good for them. Brownback's remaining legislative allies, like him, suggested that the tax increase will ruin the economy. They've ruined the economy in Kansas uh, since 2012, since coming to power. So, uh, but a, they're not a, going to admit much, it ever. A much needed correction uh, to conservatism and austerity is now coming in Kansas. Yes, hope is on the way. In the meantime, uh, hope may not yet be on the way for Oklahoma. Uh, where they have a, a similarly uh, right-wing governor who is screwing everything up and a similarly right-wing legislature still in place. A deepening budget crisis there has now forced schools across the Sooner State to make painful decisions. Class, size, class sizes have ballooned, according to the Washington Post. Art and foreign language programs have shrunk or disappeared entirely with no money for new textbooks. Children often go without And perhaps the most significant consequence, students in scores of districts across the state are now going to school for just four days a week. Funding for classrooms has been shrinking for years in this deeply red state as lawmakers have cut taxes. Hey, I thought that was good for the economy. (laughs) Slicing away hundreds of millions of dollars in annual revenue and what some Oklahomans consider a cautionary tale about the real life consequences of the small government approach favored by Republican majorities in Washington and state houses nationwide. School districts were staring down deep budget holes, having to turn to shorter weeks in desperation as a way to save just a little bit of money and persuade increasingly hard-to-find teachers to take some of the nation's lowest-paying jobs. So they also don't pay them well. Oklahoma is 49th in the nation. When it comes to teacher pay, according to uh, federal data, teachers are leaving in droves for better paying jobs elsewhere in other states. The number of positions filled by emergency certified teachers who have no education training 
or uh, as one of the uh, district heads says, quote, are upright and breathing, is now 35 times as high as it was in 2011. They can't increase the payments for them because they've been cutting taxes down to the bone, losing revenue to the state. There's your conservatism. How's it working out for you, Oklahoma? 96 school districts in Oklahoma have lopped Fridays or Mondays off of their schedules. This is nearly uh, triple the number that did this back in 2015 and four times as many as uh, as in 2013. An additional 44 are also considering cutting instructional days by moving to a four day week this fall or shortening the school year. Democrats had helped to pass bipartisan income tax cuts from 2004 to 2008. Republicans who have controlled the legislature since 2009 and the governorship since 2011 have cut income tax further and also significantly lowered taxes. And here's where you'll be interested, Des, on oil and gas production. So they're giving tax cuts to the fossil fuel industries across Oklahoma. And uh, because, you know, that's going to improve the economy. And apparently it didn't. And the money did not come in. And so who pays the price for this? Kids, school kids, amongst others. The problems facing Oklahoma are our own doing, said State Senator John Sparks, the uh, chamber's top Democrats. These are the results of a bad public policy and a lack of public sector investment. Governor Mary Fallon. Republican said a downturn in the energy sector and decreasing sales tax revenue have led to several very difficult budget years. Gosh, I wonder why that happened, Governor. She brought this about. They're facing now a $900 million budget gap. Once again, almost a billion dollar budget gap in Oklahoma. Lawmakers approved a, a, a budget recently that will effectively hold school funding flat in the next year. And so they can't give teachers any raises. And uh, meanwhile, in Washington, Donald Trump has proposed significant education cuts that would further strain local budgets. It's going great. This is exactly what they were rejecting in these elections in the U.K. And now, by the way, in Kansas yes. back in November. So uh, Oklahoma has decreased spending for, uh, 14% per child since the Republicans took over in 2008. 14% decrease. And the, the state spent just $8,000 per student. This is uh, only, uh, only Arizona, conservative Republican red state, Idaho, conservative Republican red state, and Utah, conservative Republican red state. Only those three sp- uh, states spent less on their kids. That's what republicanism gets you. I don't even want to call it conservatism. It's republicanism. That's what it gets you. The the class sizes are uh, huge now in Oklahoma. They're trying to do any kind of uh, money saving they can. They're uh, cutting uh, one of the ways they save money on Fridays is because the school buses don't run. So they use less diesel fuel to run those buses. They have not given a raise to salary, uh, teacher uh, salaries since 2008. So uh, that's what conservatism, republicanism gets you. That's what tax cuts give you. Tax cuts to the, uh, to the wealthy. And you give them to the fossil fuel companies 
as they've done in Oklahoma on the basis that, hey, fracking, that's the key to the future. Guess what? That's not the key to the future. That's the key to disparity, austerity, and uh, earthquakes. And earthquakes, <laughs> yeah, across the state of Oklahoma. You got that too. Hopefully, Americans are starting to see this. Hopefully, Americans are starting to understand. Hopefully, Americans are starting to understand, by the way, what an economy built on fossil fuels leads to. They're certainly finding that out in Oklahoma. Donald Trump apparently has not yet gotten the message in Washington. And that's one of the reasons why he wants to leave the uh, Paris Accord so he can bring back all those coal jobs. Building a bridge to the 19th century. That'll work. Speaking of which, the Green News report on some of those very issues is up next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Yay! <laughs> that means Desi Doyen is here to save the world. Yay! Good luck to you. Yeah. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, so we're uh, we're avoiding the distractions. No hugely breaking news. We've covered a few of the stories that I had hoped to get to for several days. I have a few more that well may have to wait for another day, but uh, or maybe I'll be able to fit them in after this our latest green news report. We are one canoe, one island, one planet. We cannot afford to mess this up. As Trump steps back from the Paris Climate Agreement, Hawaii steps up. California is all in. Defiant California partners with China on clean energy. Switching from coal to solar would save 52,000 lives a year. Plus, rooftop solar will shine again in Nevada after spending nearly two years under a dark cloud. Elections have consequences. Nevada Democrats reverse anti-solar regulations. All of that good news and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Is it hot in here or did I just pull out of the Paris Accord? Zabinga! This is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, even North Korea, North Korea 
has condemned Donald Trump for withdrawing from the landmark U.N. Paris Climate Agreement, <laughs> calls global warming, quote, one of the gravest challenges humankind is facing today. North Korea's Ministry of Foreign Affairs called Trump's decision, quote, short-sighted and silly, Ooh. and said that the United States shows, quote, ignorance of the fact that it is in their own best interests. That's North Korea. Yeah, I know. Reminding me of what Bill Maher said about this uh, over the weekend. Really? The country that is always threatening to blow up the planet wants to save the planet. (laughs) And on top of that, the top U.S. diplomat stationed in China has resigned from his post over Trump's decision to withdraw from the U.N. Paris Climate Agreement. Acting U.S. Ambassador to China David Rank reportedly told embassy staff that he could not support and would not implement Trump's climate policies as, quote, a parent, a patriot and a Christian. Well, he's just winning everywhere, isn't he? (laughs) Seems like it. Meanwhile, Hawaii has become the first U.S. state to pass laws to legally implement the Global Accord, with new legislation to accelerate policy mechanisms to reduce Hawaii's greenhouse gas emissions. At a press conference in Honolulu on Tuesday, Hawaii's Democratic Governor David Ige noted Hawaii is already grappling with climate change impacts like extreme weather, coral bleaching, and rising sea levels, and that managing Hawaii's natural resources is critical to the state's economy. As an island state, we are especially aware of the limits of our natural environment. We have a kuleana, a responsibility to malama, to steward our island home. Not to be outdone, California Governor Jerry Brown was in China this week to sign a partnership agreement with the Chinese government to coordinate with the government on clean energy technology, carbon capture and storage, and carbon emissions trading. California is all in. 100% in meeting the Paris agreements, in fact, going beyond. We only do that if we can work with China, Chinese provinces, to get the job done. So Trump's decision is definitely a setback that will cost pretty much everyone on the planet precious time in the race against accelerating climate impacts. But there may be a silver lining if it ultimately ends up galvanizing more action. Maybe we should thank Donald Trump for helping the world rally around the Paris Climate Agreement something that uh, many people in this country, at least, had no idea what it even was until Trump left it. Meanwhile, the Trump administration has been repeating debunked, inaccurate estimates of the costs of the Paris Agreement. Not my Trump administration. But ignoring the benefits of transitioning to clean energy, including the fact that it will save lives. According to a new study out this week from Michigan Technological University, swapping out coal in generating electricity and replacing it with solar energy in the United States would prevent 52,000 premature deaths in the United States caused by coal's air pollution every year. To put that into perspective, the U.S. coal industry employs 51,000 people total, but switching to renewable energy would save 52,000 lives per year per year. Finally, in Nevada, the state legislature has rolled back its rollback of solar incentives just a year and a half after its Public Utility Commission phased out financial incentives for rooftop solar owners that gutted the state's solar industry. That's great news. It is. Expected to be signed by Republican Governor Brian Sandoval. The legislation restores net metering rates for homeowners to sell their excess energy back to the grid and requires the state's utilities to get 40 percent of their electricity from 
renewable sources by 2030. It's interesting because this comes after the Republicans had taken control of the state legislature in the previous session. Now Democrats are back in power and they are rolling back this ridiculous regulation that blocked rooftop solar in Nevada. Nevada, one of the sunniest states in the nation. Elections have consequences. Yes, they do. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. And you I'm weeping. I love that song. (laughs) (laughs) And I just want to add, Governor Brian Sandoval of Nevada has signed that bill. So it is moving forward. That uh, Nevada bill to restore rooftop solar, which was insane that they did away with it in the first place. And I really wondered if uh, Sandoval was going to sign this bill passed by the Democratic legislature. But I got to tell you, they got so much blowback for those uh, regulations last year that, you know, Solar companies were moving out of the city, and it resulted in part, uh, helped to result in both houses of the Nevada legislature flipping from Republican to Democratic uh, last November. Elections have consequences. As you always like to say. Uh, Speaking of which, they only have consequences uh, if people can actually vote for candidates that they want. The Supreme Court affirmed on Monday a three-judge district court's finding that 28 state legislative districts drawn by the Republican-majority North Carolina legislatures legislature were unconstitutional racial gerrymanders. 28 state legislative districts. Uh, That was uh, affirmed by the Supreme Court. The court did vacate the lower court's uh, order for special elections. They had said we need to have them this year in 2017. The the Supreme Court has ordered the lower court to reconsider that, to have a hearing on that. So uh, they may decide, yes, we want them in 2017. Redraw these damn maps and have a proper election, uh, or they can uh, redraw them and use them next year for the 2018 midterms. But they have been in place since they were uh, drawn up after the 2010 election. That's how the Republicans had that kind of majority uh, at the at the state level. And uh, you'll recall a few weeks ago in a 5-2 to two, two ruling at the Supreme Court that even included Justice Clarence Thomas siding with the liberals here, the Supreme, the Supremes uh, struck down two congressional, two U.S. House district maps out of North Carolina. They've been gaming the system for the past decade. Finally, they're getting uh, caught and being told to reverse it. But hey, look how much damage has been done already. So anyway, that's uh, some version of some good news to Indeed. add to your uh, story in Nevada. And, well, we got to get the hell out of here. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's thrilling broadcast, you can download it at bradblog.com anytime for free or at your favorite uh, podcast site like iTunes, where we hope you'll give us a good review and make it easier for everyone else to find us as well. You can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. 
Find us and follow us and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. And as ever, my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do over your public airwaves each and every day. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>